podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket with Simon Hughes and Simon Mann. The waiting is over. We now know who the England men's test match coach is, hopefully for the next four years, Brendan McCullum, known as Baz. And we're going to talk about that uh, in this show. We're also going to talk about Bulls and why the Seamers haven't been taking any wickets recently. And it isn't necessarily just to do with the Duke's Bulls. And uh, later in the show, we're also going to talk about cricket's worst nightmares. Uh, After the experience of Josh Baker, the young left-arm spinner for Worcestershire, who was deposited for 34 by Ben Stokes, we thought it'd be quite fun to think about uh, other misfortunes that we've all experienced in the game, hopefully with a a funny angle to them. So that's coming up today. Uh, So firstly, Simon, Baz, Brendan McCullum. That was a bit left field, actually, wasn't it? Well, I was going to ask you this question. What was your emotional reaction when you first heard the news? What, you know, just in that moment when you heard Brendan McCullum is going to be the next England coach, what, what, what did you think? How did you react? Excited, actually. I, I like his overall ethos about cricket. Uh, I've talked to him a fair bit about it. Uh, I like his philosophies. Obviously, uh, a brilliantly adventurous player. And I think adventure would be the word that I would use about him generally. So, you know, my reaction was great. It's a good, it's a good appointment, even though he hasn't had a, a massive track record as a test match coach, or in fact, any track record as a test match coach. What about you? My reaction was surprise. It, re- it really was. I mean, I, yeah, you say left field. I mean, the, the word was at the start of the week, it was going to be Gary Kirsten. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, it, it's Brendan McCullum. What, what's interesting about this now is that England have got an inexperienced test coach, they've got an inexperienced captain, and they've got an inexperienced managing director in those roles. I mean, they're obviously experienced cricket people, a, a huge amount of experience behind them. Brendan McCullum played over 100 test matches, for example. Ben Stokes has played stacks of cricket. And, and Rob Key, a very, you know, very experienced cricket man. But in the specific roles in which they are in, they are all very inexperienced. I suppose what the, the question to ask as well is, what are we expecting from Brendan McCullum, what what does an England coach do? And the the mistake I think to make is that he actually does much specific coaching. It's it's, it's you know so explain that. What 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 does an England coach do really? I think, um, firstly, just to to go on what what you said earlier, I think maybe experience is overrated. You know, maybe people can be overqualified sometimes for particular roles, and it's better to to have a kind of philosophy rather than lots of tick boxes for doing various uh, grades or levels of coaching. I remember Darren Goff actually saying when he soon after he retired, you know, he desperate to get into coaching and he didn't have the badges, so he couldn't, you know. And uh, Graham Swan has said that as well, that, you know, the best time for Jimmy Anderson to be a bowling coach would be straight after he retired when he hadn't actually done all the coaching badges because he's got the knowledge of the current game and the current players. I think McCullum, well, sorry, sorry to answer your question, what does an England coach do? I mean, they are facilitators, really, aren't they, generally, yeah. to bring in specialists for certain roles. 
I, I know that the, the the idea of Trevor Bayliss as coach was to be in the background as a sort of voice of common sense and obviously to recruit various so specialists that he thought were suitable for, for various roles to give bits of advice when and where necessary, but but not to intrude too much. And I think McCullum will be the same. I think what he will bring is energy, ideas, enthusiasm, but in the end, it will be over to the players to actually implement that. Yeah, I remember being with a, an England cricketer when Trevor Bayliss was in charge and you know, just having a sort of general chit-chat about it and, you know, about Trevor. And he said, well, he doesn't sort of really do very much, really. But if you want things organising, you know, if you, if you wanted to have, you know, a full net for a whole day with 15 net bowlers or 15 net batters, you know, Trevor would organise it. You know, it's, it's, so is that sort of facilitation role is one, I think, making things happen, organising. And it's probably also setting the tone for the team as well. I think that, you know, that was sort of true of Trevor, wasn't it? You know, especially for the white ball team, set the tone mm. for the team. And I sort of sense that is going to be Brendan McCullum's role as well. He might, you know, might well set the tone for the team with the captain. But I mean, even you go back in the day, someone like Duncan Fletcher, he didn't, you know, go in there and say, right, uh, you need to do this, you need to do that. He watched, waited picked his moment didn't he sometimes it took a long time before he'd actually say something say specifically to a to a batter so yeah it's, it's amazing isn't it this idea of, of coach what it you know what it actually means our idea of coach is yeah you, you take a player and you say right you've got to do this this and this and you you know and that is supposed to improve them but I, you know that's clearly I don't think that is it is it as England head coach I think that's, that's not the job do you remember um, when Bayliss first came in one of the first uh, priorities was fielding and actually slip fielding and I, I remember they went to a camp in Spain before Trevor's first test in charge, which is the Ashes test of Car- Cardiff. And, you know, he just tried to get a slip cordon sorted uh, and w- separated carefully and did lots of basic fielding drills. And, you know, there's a nice clip, actually, of him in the World Cup documentary, which I've been working on for God knows how long. Uh, and there's a lovely clip of Trevor doing a fielding session and just doing the kind of things you might have done as a coach with 10-year-olds where... You're uh, pretending to throw the ball in one direction in a circle of players and actually throwing it in the other direction, just doing simple disguises. And, and all the players are laughing, you know, because they, they, Owen Morgan sort of ducks because he thinks the ball's going in a different direction and suddenly realises it's right in front of his face. And he ducks out of the way. And it, it's just kind of making, I think sometimes in, in Trevor's case, it was making practice fun, actually. And I'm just bringing some nice, sensible, common sense methods into play rather than getting too caught up with deep analysis and McCullum will probably be the same I mean one of the things I remember him saying was when he and the New Zealanders came to England in 2015 and there was the test series before the one day series which really was the the catalyst for England's one day side to, to take off and the test series came first and I remember talking to McCullum at Headingley and he just said my sort of mantra as a captain is I want to feel like uh, how I felt when I was a boy of 12 and I opened the the curtains in the morning knowing I was going to be playing cricket and the curtains revealed a beautiful sunny day and I knew that today I was going to be playing cricket and I was excited and I just want to kind of impart that feeling of um, you know positivity around the team 
and and fun really enjoyment and that's why we all started playing cricket and you want to try and reclaim that if you can as a even as a professional and that will be kind of part of it. I mean, obviously, it'll be more uh, sophisticated than that. But his his definite sort of overall ethos is try and enjoy yourself, and uh, and and you know, if you enjoy it and relax into it, hopefully, your best skills will emerge. I mean, are we expecting them to be sort of playing a really positive way? I mean, that's the way uh, Brendan McCullum played. I mean, it's, it's, it strikes me as well that he, he is he England's first maverick coach. I mean, he's, you know, he says, I like, you know, I like a drink, I like a bet, I like a cigarette. I was looking back at the, the, the history of England coaches. Uh, I suppose you could say England did have a maverick coach in the 90s, didn't they? They had, you know, Bumble was, was England coach. He was, he was a bit of a maverick in a way. But since then, they've all been quite sort of, if you like, sort of quite serious mm. men, sort of, not sort of introverted a little bit. I, think I mean, Duncan, think Fletcher, Duncan was, Fletcher. Yeah, Fletcher was. Had a, he had a mischievous sense of humour. Yes, he did. He did. You're, you're absolutely right. That didn't really come out to the public, actually, did it? He always came. He came across as as quite dour. I actually find Duncan actually one of the most interesting people, you know, in my broadcasting career to talk to about cricket and just listen to about cricket. And you know, there was all this thing about, you know, it was a Duncan day, you know, if England done badly or, you know, between test matches, it was a Duncan day, you would give a press conference. I actually, towards, the, the more he did, the more interesting he became, actually. And he, he really was worth listening to. And I, I actually enjoyed interviewing. I'm not sure everyone did, but I actually enjoyed him. But I mean, but he, he was quite sort of serious minded, wasn't he? And um, yeah. Peter Moore's quite, quite serious minded. Mm. Andy Flower, Flower yeah. Trevor Bayliss, Chris Silverwood. Hey, Bayliss, I mean, they, they, I think Bayliss, you know, again had a, had a sense of yeah. humour. I mean, I remember once. But they're not maverick. What the point, the point I make is, there's, you wouldn't call them mavericks, no, would you? No, well, true. Well, well, this is this is sort of a down the path of, of a mm. maverick appointment, isn't it? Don't you think? I mean, the fact that, well, I mean, I was I was surprised. I mean, I mean, the fact that I think England were looking at him as their next white ball coach, weren't they? And he said, well, I think he sort of said. No, I'm not sure. I want that. I, th- I prefer- have you got your red? Is your red ball job going? Is that that's how I that's how I've sort of read between the lines. You know, that's that to me. That is a proper challenge. That's what Brendan McCullum was saying. This that's a challenge. I you know, white ball team. We seem to be going well. You don't really need me for well, that. Well, he's already had he, the impact on the white ball team, hasn't he? Because well, Owen well, Morgan's his have, best yeah. mate. So you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's inevitable that he probably want to move on and and do something as you say a bit more a bit more challenging. And uh, th- there have been a, a lot of comment about well how how do we employ a, a man who's basically he gave up test cricket to play t20 and has played uh, a sort of coaching role for the Kolkata Knight Riders for in recent times why do we then sit think he's going to sort our Red Bull problems but he's a cricket man who mm. obviously has had a fantastic test career both as a batsman and captain uh, you know massive experience commentated all over the world just a, a guy that knows the game inside out and has, as you say, kind of some adventurous ideas, which I think England need at the moment. Mm. Well, I was going to say, what do England need? I was thinking, I was thinking, well, they need runs, before. don't they? Primarily. Well, well this, is what I'm thinking. this is what I'm thinking. Actually, what England need is they need solid batting at the top of the order. I mean, they've got they've got Root in the middle order, and they've got Stokes, they need two class players there. They need solid batting at the top of the order. They need a, a high class spinner, I think. And they need some fit, young, pacey, classy bowlers, really. That, that's what they need. And that, in a way, that comes back to the system. And it then comes back to what Ashley Giles said to me in, in Sydney in that uh, interview before the Sydney Test match. He said, you can change the captain and the coach and you can change me, 
but you'll fail if you don't change the system. Well, England have changed the captain and the coach, and they have changed me, i.e. Ashley Giles. So can we expect things to change in terms of a you know significant upward trajectory, or, or, or is it just going to be interesting and fun and we need some wins on the way and some losses on the way, but actually, you know, are England capable of getting to, you know, towards number one in the world, not qualifying, I think, for this World Test Championship final, but perhaps for the next one, or and or beating Australia uh, next summer when it comes around to the Ashes, or indeed getting some wins, you know, this summer against South Africa and, and New Zealand, that one-off test match against India, and then the series coming up against Pakistan. I mean, are they... Is this the golden ticket that's going to transform things? Um, well, it's it's going to be interesting. I think that, that that's the bottom line. Whether it's going to be successful, um, well, you, you, we we don't know, can we? We can only guess at the moment. But uh, it, it it does seem a bit of a punt, doesn't it, with the way they the way they've gone? Mm. I think it's it's energising when you get these kinds of people given roles of responsibility. If I was a player, if I was one of the England players now, I'd be thinking, wow, you know, I'm excited. I want to impress this guy. Uh, you know, I I was impressed by him. I'm, I admire him. Uh, I want to listen to him. Uh, I, You know, I it won't transform the team necessarily, but I think it will bring a, a, a refreshing kind of attitude. And if you have a positive mentality and he'll be encouraging, uh, he, he knows the game, as I said, so he'll know exactly the kind of messages to to implement to the players i think it can only be a, a, a positive move then it's under up to the players to respond really are so, you saying are you saying girls that you, you don't think that would necessarily have been the case under chris silverwood no I, I don't think it would have been the case under chris silverwood i, I think he's uh, i i wouldn't say he was as, as as inspiring a person and not not because of anything negative about him particularly but what he more what he stands for you know he's had a steady career as a as a county cricketer with some england performances he's had a good career as a coach he's obviously quite methodical but is he someone that you would be really stimulated by i'm not sure you know i think he would do the basics fine but you you need to lift this sort of layer of, of mediocrity don't you and, and get people performing above themselves rather than at their own level or even below it. I, I think someone like McCullum could have a, a sort of Midas touch, potentially. Mm. What happened to Gary Kirsten then? <laughs> he's, well, he's he probably didn't a, give enough seems... effort. He probably didn't put enough effort in the interview, did he? Because he, you, you said the last time he interviewed, he well, no, rather I let said, it come I, to I, him sort of thing. Well, no, all I said was that when he, when he was asked um, to interview for the India job, he didn't go to the in front of the the, the um, people who interview him and say, right, here's my here's my presentation, here's my philosophy. He said, right, what do you want to ask me? You've asked me to come here. What is it you want to ask me? So I think that was that was the point. It, it wasn't a sort of you know all singing all dancing uh, presentation uh, with him standing up and saying this is my cricket philosophy. Because I think actually when he went for the India job, this is you know a while back now, isn't it? It's well over a decade ago. He you know he was an inexperienced coach himself. So you know, and, and England are in that territory now with with Brendan McCullum. I, think, I mean, it's, I think, it's, it makes it makes immediately makes the summer interesting, doesn't yeah, it? Having Brendan sure. McCullum there, especially with the fact the fact that New Zealand are the first team that he's going to be coming up against in a, in two or three weeks' time. Yeah, and and actually, the other thing about McCullum is he's not a bit like Owen Morgan, totally wedded to cricket. He has other interests. He's a big big horse racing man and he likes his golf and escaping from the game 
and not being totally constrained or, uh, you know, almost kind of constipated by it, uh, so that he'll he'll come with a slightly more freewheeling, free-spirited approach. And, and and again, I think that's important for players to have a bit of downtime, to to relax, you know, and sort of have a joke and a laugh and enjoy being part of the England team, which at times can be a bit of a, a sort of exasperating experience and, and a bit too sort of intense. What about the white ball coach then? Um, we, Who knows? It was clear that they, you know, they probably were probably Gary Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the, he's the batting mentor. He's the batting coach and mentor for the Gujarat Titans who are doing pretty well in, in the IPL at the moment. I mean, there's talk of uh, Paul Collingwood being the white ball coach and also uh, Matthew Mott, who's the Australian women's uh, coach. So those two people are, are, are in the frame uh, reportedly at the moment. But I mean, the, the way sort of McCullum seemed to sort of come up on the rails, who knows? It could be you, Yoz. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 by the way, I, I just as a sort of an aside, talking about, you know, maverick coaches and people who like a drink. Um, Mickey Stewart, I, I saw yesterday at uh, Beckenham watching the Kent v Surrey game. And Mickey Stewart, by the way, was not a drinker. Uh, but he he told me a funny story about when he was first a, a test selector, and I, I you know I just love the kind of the the, the attitude of uh, the old guard if you like because he went to watch a game at Notts. I think he was watching Chris Broad actually before the Ashes of mid eighties, and he wanted to see how he was batting for Notts. So he went to Knotts and he turned up at sort of 10.30 and the chairman of Knotts said, hello, Mickey, great to see you. you know, uh, do come into the committee room. Um, would you like a drink? And he said, well, actually, no, not just at the moment. It's, it's only 10.30, so I'll you know, come here to watch the cricket, so, so no thank you. Uh, then at 12 o'clock, the same uh, request again. Uh, hello, Mickey, it's, it's midday now. Um, we're all going to have a glass of wine. Would, would you like a glass of wine? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm happy just watching the game at the moment. It got to one o'clock and, you know, lunchtime and uh, would you like wine with your meal? Uh, Mickey said, no, I'll just have water, actually. And then it came to the sort of post-lunch drinks, you know, would you like a whiskey or a brandy with your with your dessert or after dessert, uh, Mickey? And Mickey said, actually, no, no I, I need to get back to watch the cricket now. And the chairman looked at him and just said, you sure you're a test selector? <laughs> Which, you know, just shows <laughs> how they were perceived in the past. Um, and if it was you and your benefit year, you'd have had all those drinks. I would have had all those drinks. Um, After that story you told a week yes, or two ago. Yes, quite. And, and mind you, I, I have to say, Mickey, looking good. You know, he's uh, he's not not young now, is he? But he's still looking very sprightly. And uh, he was there with his binoculars watching Ollie Pope batting yesterday, still studying the game in great detail. So, lovely man. Yeah, and Ollie Pope must be in the frame, you'd think, for uh, the first Test match. He's been in, in really good form, actually, lots of runs so far. Mind you, so have lots of batters all around the country. It's been a, a wonderful time, and the weather's been dry, lots of cricket being played. I mean, you might argue that the fact it's been so dry for so long is not good news for pace bowlers, because they haven't been able to have that much rest. I mean, if you want to play all the games, you know, it's, it's a lot of cricket sort of stacked up, and not much time to get off the field and put your feet up, you know, get the cards out when, when, it, when it's raining, as people might have thought at this time of year. And you, you think actually you know, it, batting options for the first test match, OK, doesn't mean saying they're going to bat well, but lots of players are, are in the frame and in form. As for the bowlers, yours, it's a bit different, isn't it? I mean, you think of the bowlers that are injured, uh, Sam Curran, Chris Wokes, Mark Wood, Joffrey Archer, Ollie Stone, 
Robinson yesterday uh, went off the field after one over. He came back to some wickets in the previous championship match, but only bowled one over yesterday. And then Matt Fisher, of course, who played in the West Indies, made his debut there. You know, he's been injured as well. Thank goodness for Anderson and Broad. <laughs> Otherwise, thing, <laughs> the cupboard really would be bare. Now, what, what's go- so what's going on for the, with these quick bowlers well, then? And, and yeah. Why are they not taking any wickets? It's a good question. It's going to take a while to answer that probably. But I think uh, bowling is hard work and, and actually fast bowling. And, and Mike Selvey in the current issue of The Cricketer mentions this and why are so many bowlers injured. And his theory is, is partly that when you're young now, you don't get to bowl many overs. You, you, you're restricted until you're sort of 16 in how many overs you can bowl. And that doesn't harden your body as much as it did when I was a player or he was a player when we were young and we were bowling 20 overs in a day. As so a at 16 in club, cri- in yeah, club cricket, yeah. you'd be bowling 20 or, or overs school, in a day. Or whatever, school cricket, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I've got score books where, you know, where the, the score are faithfully put in every over, you know, the, all the dots and everything in the, in the old-fashioned score books. And my overs took up almost two pages, you know, in, because I sort of overlapped. Uh, they, they ran out of space to put all my overs well, in. Put, putting all the sixes and fours in the, in the bowling <laughs> column. Um, and wides and no balls. Um, uh, so bowlers, young bowlers, anybody who is now in their sort of mid to late 20s or even a bit older, actually early 30s probably, would have had restrictions on how many overs they're allowed to bowl as a kid. And while that obviously is... Isn't that a good thing? Well, it's uh, it's supposed to be uh, injury prevention and, you know, enabling a body, a young body to grow and not be too uh, pressurised early on and have too much of a burden put on it because you can get stress fractures and so on. I mean, Selvey's argument, and I would say mine would be as well, is that your body needs to bowl to harden itself to bowl. And... There isn't really much substitute for that. Uh, if you protect a person too much, I don't think their body hardens itself and gets strong enough to then have to take on the the, the burden of bowling 20 overs in a day in a first-class game on pitches which are like concrete compared to what you're used to as a schoolboy or a club player where the pitches are sort of relatively soft. Obviously, things like footwear are better now, but the fact is bowling is tough. Uh, it's not for the faint-hearted. And now, you know, when you get a little niggle, the, the physio will come out and go, oh, you know, better not risk you today. And that's happened, for instance, I think with Jackson Bird uh, ruled out of playing for Kent recently because of little things. I see Pat Cummins has gone home from the IPL because, again, of a, a hip problem. Uh, you know, it's happening a lot more, isn't it, where people are, are overcautious and the, the injuries possibly caused by lack of really hard work when they were young and oversensitive uh, scientists, um, physios now, which I'm not saying is a, you can't blame them for being oversensitive, but it causes more players to miss out. Yeah, I noticed actually, I think Steve Snell down at Gloucestershire, he was talking about the team news for their game against Somerset. And he, he was saying, yeah, we've got a few bowlers with niggles and they've actually brought in two bowlers on loans. Short-term loans, uh, basically, to play in, in this current championship match against Somerset. You almost sort of run out of bowlers. Um, I don't know whether that, that makes the point or not. What, what, about the, what about the balls, then, that these bowlers are bowling with? So it's been, you know, a lot of bowlers injured, a lot of bowlers missing games with, with niggles. 
Um, are, are they bowling with? When was it? Early nineties when they made the seams smaller and the teams got. There was one match where someone got nine hundred. Was it Lancashire got yeah. nine hundred? Yeah, that was overall. when we played is, with is, Readers for a season. Surrey, Surrey got six hundred against Gloucestershire uh, recently in a championship match. Uh, Gloucestershire replied with about four hundred and forty for two. Yeah. Uh, are the seams smaller? Are the balls different, <laughs> or is it, or is it just the fact the pitches are flat? It's been dry, and it's it's been fill your boots yeah, time. Yeah. Of course, one of the reasons why some of these bowlers are injured is because they've been bowling a lot of overs <laughs> for no reward. But uh, there has been some talk about the Duke's balls in use for this season's championship. Uh, some bowlers saying the seams are smaller. I talked to Paul Downton, the director of cricket at Kent yesterday, and certainly his bowlers, the Kent bowlers, are feeling that the Duke's balls this year are inferior to past seasons. Now... We have a, a friend, don't we, in, in these uh, areas, who is the owner of Dukes, Dilip Jajodia, and uh, he's often been on our show, actually, and I sent him a text the other day just saying, is the, are these rumours true? Are the balls deliberately with smaller seams this year? And his reply was, um, the, all balls for first-class cricket are made to the BSI standard. There will always be slight variations with natural raw materials. We do not do anything different to the production process April has been exceptionally dry and pitches must be better, judging by some of the scores. And I would concur with that. I mean, looking at Beckenham's pitch yesterday, uh, absolutely sort of white as a sheet, nothing in it for the bowlers. Poor old Darren Stevens, charging in age 46, could get nothing out of it. And, you know, it, it didn't look much fun to bowl on, to be honest. Um, he goes on to say, the ball gets gradually softer through the overs. The only request I've had from the ECB is to try and select a lighter shade of red leather as the feedback from last year was that the balls were too dark. What, and what difference does that make? Light or dark? Dark red is, uh, has always been the bowlers' favourites because they always felt they would swing more. Um, and, you know, if you go and pick a ball out of a box, you'll always, as a fast bowler, you'll always look for the darkest one you can find. Now... They have been a bit lighter this year, but the next batch of, of balls, which Paul down to show me one of yesterday, are a bit darker again. Um, I, I mean, I've got a ball here from the 2019 Test Series when the balls were seeming a lot, and uh, it, it's the same. It's pretty much the same as the ball that Paul Downton showed me yesterday uh, in use this, this summer. So, you know, I think, Sometimes you do get, as Jodia says, you do get minute variations in the balls, and they haven't swung this year, uh, obviously, very much. But it has been largely due to the weather conditions, and the pitches have been a bit flatter. And and uh, that's and I suppose may, maybe batsmen getting stuck in as well, hmm. and a combination of those things. But particularly the dry weather and coolish weather as well, which isn't conducive to to swing bowling, particularly bowlers feeling a bit. You know, they're not. It's you want that sort of moist, warmer air, just to feel better as a bowler. Really, not necessarily because that makes the ball swing more, but undoubtedly, if there's moisture in the surface, it will rise up and it will help the ball to move. Certainly off the seam, which there hasn't been this year. Mm. So it's it's so it's, it's a little bit to do with the balls in that they're a bit lighter, so probably not swinging as much. But it's mainly to do with the the weather conditions and the, and the and the flatter pitches. No, nothing to do whatsoever with the seam. Not as far as I can tell, no. And this ball I've got here has a decent seam on it. I would happily bowl with it, 
and the ones that Paul Downton showed me yesterday are the same. So if there are any minute differences, it's not deliberate. So we said we'd talk about nightmares in cricket. Uh, on the back of the experience of Josh Baker, the young left-arm spinner for Worcestershire, who had the misfortune to be smashed for 34 of an over by Ben Stokes. A perfectly respectable over, by the way, uh, if you watch it on the stream. There's no terrible long ops in it or anything. It's just fantastic batting by a man clearly on a mission. And in a way, of course, it, he's avoided the ultimate ignominy of being hit for 36 off and over, which has only happened, Simon, to two other first-class bowlers, isn't it? In, in, in first-class cricket, it has, yeah. Tilat Raj, um, who bowled to Ravi Shastri, and Ravi Shastri hit six sixes in India, and also, of course, very famously, Gary Sobers against Malcolm Nash. And actually, in a, in a strange way, of course, I mean, Malcolm Nash was a very you know, good bowler, wasn't he, in county cricket? And, he, you know, he, was a, he had longevity as well. But he, I suppose he is most famous for being hit for six sixes in an over. So it, it, it's, can it, it sort of can make you and break you a bit as well, I suppose. I mean, Stuart Broad's been hit for six sixes in a, in a T20 match, didn't do his career any uh, particular harm. But, you know, there's been other, others who we don't know too much about. Dan van Bunger was hit for six sixes in the World Cup match, the, the Dutch leg spinner by uh, Herschel Gibbs. We don't hear too much about Dan Fan Bunger anymore. Great name, actually, for a, a bowler, isn't it? Or perhaps it's not. I don't know. Perhaps he shouldn't be a fan bunger. But anyway, he, he was hit for six sixes by Herschel Gibbs. So, uh, yeah, so Josh Baker was was nearly... I mean, it actually was so close to being six sixes as well, wasn't it? It was a, it was a low skimmer out towards the straight boundary. And it, it must have... Uh, I, I sort of lost flight of it. I was watching it at the time. I, I just lost flight of it. But it couldn't have been that, that much short of, of being six sixes and over. Yeah, so we, we thought we'd talk about... Uh, sort of worst nightmares. I suppose actually your your worst nightmare is actually the nightmare when you're asleep, when you're you're next into bat and you can't find your pads, your box, your jock strap, or your helmet, whatever like that. And you you know you just and you're standing in your shorts in the dressing room and it's your turn to bat. And you where are my pads? And it's all awful, isn't it? Those anxiety dreams. And I'm, I'm sure you've you've had them as well. I've I'm, experienced I'm sure it in real anybody, life. <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody's not not so much a dream as a, as an actual <laughs> an actual experience. Oh, I, I, I once had to go out to bat without any socks because I literally couldn't find my gear and uh, it was all scattered all over the place and I was hurriedly trying to get it on as the, the batsman who was dismissed was walking out, you know, coming back to the pavilion. So I was ex next in and I literally, I had a pair of shorts and a T-shirt on because we'd been s sitting in the sun up the other end and rushed to get my gear on and had to go out to bat with no socks against Wazzy Macram. Which you know wasn't good, wasn't good, and, and the wicketkeeper said that's pretty village, uh, which it was, which it was. It's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Really, you're sunbathing in a, a professional match for which you're being paid. You're sunbathing at the final at the other end of the ground, so you weren't ready to bat when it was your turn to bat. Mm. Yeah, village, I think, does sum it up. <laughs> um, it's probably a disservice to village, actually. Really, I'm yeah. sure lot, most village players would be much better prepared. So, uh, do you want to hear my worst nightmare? Go on then. Well, I'm just... yeah, I, so Middlesex in about 1987 were playing a three-day match against Somerset in Bath and the one-day match in the middle on the Sunday was against Worcester at Worcester. So we had to travel between the two venues and for some reason I decided to go back to London on the Saturday night. Well, I say for some reason. 
uh, uh, there was a party, of course. It was the Roslyn Park Rugby Club Ball. And many of my Durham friends were going to be there. And so I decided, as we had to travel from Bath to Worcester, I would do it via London, which is not a particularly uh, good way round. But anyway, um, I got to bed a bit too late, uh, stayed up, you know, drinking into the early hours, then woke up late, overslept, knowing I had to drive to Worcester. And it was in the days before the M40 was built. So it was a, a tortuous route sort of A34 through Broadway and Evesham and all these places, beautiful places, lovely place for a Sunday drive, but not if you're in a hurry to try and get to a ground. And on the way, having left late, I got a flat tyre and hadn't ever had to fix this car's flat tyre before, so had problems finding the right tools and everything, managed to eventually fix it, but by this time I was really late. Uh, I had to stop at a phone box in Melton Mowbray, I think, where there was Morris dancing going on and the traffic was terrible, to tell them that I was running late. And I finally got to Worcester for a 1.30 start because it was a televised game at 1.05 with Mike Gatting and John Embry, Mike Gatting captain, John Embry vice captain's kit in my car. So Mike Gatting had had to toss up <laughs> without getting changed. He hadn't had any chance to warm up or anything. Uh, he'd had to toss up, you know, in his jacket and tie or whatever. He was pretty furious. Um, I played in the match. Uh, I had to bowl at Ian Botham and Graham Hick. I was in a right state. I got panned all over the ground. And Phil Edmonds, who had a contract that allowed him not to play on the Sundays were commentating and he said, oh, well, that's another terrible over by Simon Hughes, but he's probably got another party to go to tonight. So it was broadcast to the nation as well. Yeah. You should be ashamed of yourself, yours. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. You're a professional sportsman. That's exactly what my dad said about three Did days he? after he oh. was prepared to talk to me, <laughs> having watched the coverage how, on how old were How old were you at the time? 28. Oh, right. So you would say so not only were you a professional sportsman, you were quite an experienced professional sportsman as well. It wasn't like you were 19 or something. And dear, oh dear. Go on then, what's yours? Well, I mean, I can't compete well, with that. Well, of course that. you can. No, well, you can no. compete with something in a bit more of a normal situation. No, well, it's just, you know, uh, I mean, I think for a, for a club cricketer, you get to play once a week, don't you, normally? Sometimes two, actually. I mean, there was a spell when I was playing three times a week. Uh, but you play one, t <clears throat> you play one match a week. And you, you know, you, you want to make the most of it, don't you? What you don't want is on a Sunday afternoon to be batting. And at the other end was a, they brought on this guy. I was I could bat it on five or something six. I brought on a minor county's left arm spinner. He was such a good bowler. He was a really good bowler. I couldn't get him away. I couldn't do much with him. And then he he bowled me one that pitched leg stump, missed off, just clipped my hip on the way through to the wicketkeeper. Flick, flick the hip. They, the wicketkeeper caught it, threw up in the air. They all celebrated as if he was out. And there was an umpire at the other end, and I could still see him now. And he had glasses on. And he wasn't the youngest umpire I think I've ever seen. He was probably in his 80s. And he said, hmm, he said, I think that's out, and and raised his finger. And I'm so, I'm so and I, you know, you stand there, you think, well, what on earth, what on earth's going on here? This, this, that's ludicrous. Because the point was, the ball was too good to hit. I couldn't, I couldn't hit it. It was too good. And then the, um, the, I stood there and looked back at the umpire and the wicketkeeper gave me an absolute volley. 
you know, you hit that, you know you did, you're a cheat, you know. And I, so I, you know, you just feel so indignant and you have to sort of stomp off and you go back to the change room and you say, I just didn't hit that. And then, there we go, of course you did, yeah, yeah, you, you all say that, you, you're never out, whatever. And so it's just, it's that sense of injustice. That's why I've always been a big fan of DRS because you get those unjust injustices. Well, you don't in club cricket, but you get the, those injustices changed. And I can probably actually, I can probably remember every bad decision I've ever had in my cricketing life when I've not been dismissed. But I, I suppose the worst, my worst memory actually of cricket was when I was 10 in Bristol, we got to the final of the Martin Hooper Cup, which was the all Bristol primary schools knockout tournament. It was a massive thing for our school to, to do that. We had quite a good team, or we thought we did. We played the match. We got bowled out for 70 and they knocked them off 10 wickets with stacks of overs to spare. And I remember crying in the evening. Ooh. I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. Yeah. So that's, that, I think that's probably my saddest story. That, what, the other one made me angry. This one made me as sad as I possibly oh. could be. But, but, you know, you keep going, don't you? Because yeah. you realise. And actually the next year, the next year we got to the final again. And this time we won. So, you know, every cloud and everything like oh. that, you know, you have to you have to take defeat and victory, yeah. don't you? I, I, I stopped by a match in the Isle of Wight a couple of years ago when I was on a weekend break. And it was at Ventnor, which is the most lovely ground with a big sort of, it's, it's shaped like a saucer, the ground. It's sort of almost like a bowl, actually, with the wicket in the middle. And then the outfield goes up at, at all sides and it's right on the on the cliffs just outside then, a beautiful place. And I saw the end of this game, a Sunday game, where uh, the batting team were blocking out for a draw, nine wickets down, and the last man was an 11-year-old kid. And he was valiantly blocking and surviving, you know, shouts for LBW, and there was, every man was around the bat, mm. and they were all yelling and kind of encouraging the bowler. And he was playing really well. And the, literally the last ball of the game... He got caught short leg, and did he hit it? Did he hit yeah, it? Yeah, he, he obviously popped umpire? it up off the glove or something. And, <laughs> right, you know, okay. It was a, a very obvious dismissal, and someone caught it. And of course, the, the the fielding side went mad. And I just remember this little boy, just crestfallen, gone to his knees uh, in the middle on his own, just absolutely distraught. It's a cruel game, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you need, to, yeah, you need to learn. You know, l losing makes the joy of winning better, doesn't it? You un you, know, you understand, but you've got to have both. That's, it's it's um, they're good life lessons. I mean, the stupid thing about the heart, the, the match in Hertfordshire was it was only a friendly on a Sunday, but you know, it's, it's your one game of the week, isn't it? It's your one batting of the week, and you know you've been totally sawn off by a well, a, a, <laughs> I was going to use the ch word there, but um, you know, fielding side were less than honourable, and the umpire was. Well, he was incompetent. <laughs> There's no such thing <laughs> as a friendly like... in cricket, really, is there? I, I don't think. No, There's I always going to be somebody who, who has a, 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 is on a mission. So anyway, we, we asked our members of our world's best cricket club to come up with their own cricketing nightmares, experiences that they've, they've had or watched. And so here are just a, a short selection of them, beginning with the historian who was on our show not so long ago, James Holland. Well, Simon, you asked me what was my worst moment in cricket, and I've got to say it was getting into the 90s for the first time. I think I was 23 at the time, so it must have been 1993. I was playing for a village match, and I don't think I'd ever really... Maybe I'd got to 70 kind of once or twice or something, but I'd certainly never got into the 80s, and I'd never got into the 90s before, and I'd certainly not got close to 100. And suddenly there I was on 95. 
And we're playing a rival team called Sixpenny Handley. Lovely um, village not far from where, where I live in the Chalk Valley. And this bowler, he's, a, he's remained a very, very good friend of mine, a chap called David Cross, came and he's bowling absolute pies. And he bowled this short one. And I thought, God, I could bring up my 100 in style. In style. You know, big whack over kind of um, over square leg to the boundary for six. Anyway, I sort of got into position. I saw this a mile too early. And it hit a sort of divot on the pitch and popped up. So instead of absolutely meeting this ball, I got a top edge and it just flew absolutely vertically. I mean, it's so high, it almost got a scar on it. And I turned to the wicketkeeper, a chap called Marty Green, and I said, oh, Marty, please drop it. And he went, sorry, mate, can't do that. And it just went into his gloves. And I trudged off, and I, I just felt so wretched. All the joy of getting a really good score was completely negated by getting out for 95. And you know what? It took me till the 4th of August 2014, so 21 years later, to finally get 100. Oh, my God. Anyway, I can, you can imagine the ecstasy on that day in August... Um, sort of almost made up for the wretchedness of getting out on 95 back in 1993. Nice story there from James Holland. So here's another one. This is Norts, our great friend Richard Norton. My story goes back to the summer of 1983 when I was in the sixth form at Headland School in Swindon. Um, against all the odds, uh, we had got to semi-final of a Wiltshire Schools Cup. At the time, I had actually retired from playing cricket for the school because two years previously, I had been denied a badge that you'd be presented at assembly because the, the master who gave them out had basically forgotten about me. So suitably insulted and upset at my moment of glory having been taken away, I uh, chose not to play. Anyway, because we're in the semi-final, primarily because he had this sort of wonder kid youngster who got us there, he asked me to play because there were a few people absent with the exams and stuff. So I kind of agreed, uh, but very cynically did it because I thought it was an opportunity to impress a particular girl who was at the school. And being quite confident, I thought, yeah, I can get my name read out and we'll win and it's going to be brilliant. Anyway, he came to the game, um, a bold okay, took three wickets, brilliant, but you got to score the runs. So came to the end, I was batting at seven, and I sort of Ben Stokes style shepherded us to a situation where we needed three from the last over, and I'm facing, and the number 11's with me, but he literally doesn't know which end to hold the bat. So I decided that I would, I would score the runs come what may, two or a single or just a four, and I have six balls. Anyway, the first ball the over comes down, Absolute lollipop for me. Outside the off stump, short. I lean back and play one of my favourite shots, which is like a cut shot. Don't think about it. Just envisage the glory being named at the assembly and all that. I basically cream it at head height and it goes straight to this guy at point, this kid, this ginger-headed kid who kind of puts his hands up. It goes straight in. He kind of realises he's caught it, gets embraced and celebrated by his mates and I just stood there in the middle with my head dropped and we've been eliminated by two runs. And I remember the minibus home from wherever we'd played out in the countryside back to Swindon. It was very quiet and the same uh, sportsmaster who kind of asked me to uh, play in that driving and I could see him reflecting in the front of the van as he was driving it and I bet he was thinking I'm really glad I didn't give that bastard his badge. Hi, Umar here from Bedford. I wanted to share some of my worst experiences on the pitch. As a player, it has to be when I was 14 years old, we got to a, a regional cup final in the Bradford League. Um, 
we were chasing uh, a tough total but cruising along um, yours truly was batting took a sharp single single to extra cover it was always one um, but unfortunately as i went to slide the bat in the bat caught the turf it got jammed fell out of my hand direct hit and i was run out and we lost in the last over uh, to this day i will always always plug my bat in um, despite all the coaching advice i give my 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 um my, my lads at bedford cc to, to to slide the bat in yeah really traumatic experience that was still haunts me as a coach i i was helping out the bedfordshire young age group with their bowling uh, through the season we got to the last game of the season um you know little old bedfordshire away at the big bully uh, leicestershire county um we bowled superbly no no balls no wides we bowled them out for about 75 we're batting we're sort of cruising along at 50 50 odd for two and somehow we lose by one run which included three run outs um, absolutely tragic and uh, i can tell you it was a very very uh, somber drive home with my son and uh, a couple of his teammates but anyway that, that's why we love the great game for all the highs there's got to be some lows okay and here's a few from the cricket analyst facebook page one from Solomon Ismail, who says, I got a pair in a day, open chasing in a 40-over game, paid a short and gamed afterwards, as it was a friendly, and got another globe. Matt Payne says, playing in a charity day at Radlick Cricket Club, my captain was Gat. Mike Gatting, six aside teams, Gat told me I wasn't fit enough, patrolling the legside boundary. To my eternal shame, I said, pot, kettle black. I did apologise, and he accepted my apology. Fair play, Gat. Anthony Ingram says he was watching his son in the under-19 final, four to win, and he bowls the last ball, hits the batter on the legs, and it rolls back to the bowler to much celebration from his side. Then he picks up the ball and sees the batters are running and hurls the ball at the non-striker's end. A loud shout from myself as the arm went back, a no, fell on deaf ears as the ball is released, misses the stumps, and as kids are celebrating, I felt it was slow motion as the ball went towards the boundary, no one backing up. Opposition starts celebrating as I see my son slump to the floor. <laughs> I can uh, imagine just exactly what the, the feeling must have been there. John Glendenin, he's uh, replied. Now, he was uh, an opening batsman for Durham in the early 90s in the Durham team that I played in, a great character. And he says <laughs> his cricket's worst nightmare was dressing up as a woman at your dad's house, that was my dad's house, you blindfolded Dean Jones, then I came down, that's John, pretending to be a long-lost girlfriend dressed up in a wig and everything. <laughs> Great night, though, he says. Yeah, and it absolutely was. And it was uh, brilliant fun. Beefy, of course, was there as well that night, actually. Um, and there's one here from Rob Franks, who says, playing my first game after becoming disabled... In an able-bodied cricket game, I bowled a batter first ball. He just stands there, the whole team wondering what on earth the batter was doing, and he just said, I'm not out. Bearing in mind his stumps were flat on the ground, the umpire scratching his head asks why he said he's not out, and the batsman said he's a cripple. Cripples shouldn't be playing. I stood there bemused and holding several teammates back. I tell the umpire to give him not out, and I said, I'll bowl him again. Next ball, the same result, only this time he throws his bat at me and tells me he will do me in in the car park, then proceeds to get his kit and drives off home. I have one leg, he says. So that's Rob Franks, and he says that's a, a genuine story, a very 
courageously told as well. And it takes all sorts to play cricket, doesn't it? And you don't want those types, uh, the types that drove off like that in a huff uh, playing the game, really. But gladly, uh, they're few and far between. So, listen, thanks, everybody, for their contributions to Cricket's Worst Nightmare. And hope you have a much better experience if you're playing or watching over the weekend. And we'll be back with more tales and accounts and opinions from the cricket world early next week. Meantime, thanks for listening. Podcast Network.